yeah, we're good to go. Okay, I'm gonna stop looking at pictures because now I'm just getting more confused. Yeah, I don't have my email open. <laughs> I just need to close down what's going on over here and just focus, focus on the notes. <laughs> All so right, hard not to multitask. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. All right, so are we ready to rock and roll? We're good. I've recorded all that. It's going, it's going out there for everybody to hear you. Well, I am a fan of rock and roll, and I'm a fan of rocking this podcast. So let's go ahead and rock it then. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us on The Hideout this morning. This is episode 29, and I am one of your hosts, Brent Piotti, and with me? Brian Carpenter. Mr. And Carpenter, you sound a little rough, man. What's going on? I'm I'm heavily embarrassed. I I um I ate a frog. I don't know. I uh, I got a little cold earlier this week, and uh, the end result of it is I'm losing my voice, which I think makes my wife really happy. <laughs> so after all of that juicing all week, you still got sick by eating healthy. That's correct. Okay, that's correct. Well, note yeah. to self: don't yeah. juice. Yeah, if you if your body if your body is full of fat and you release it by making your body burn it. <laughs> Um, the end result is this, so whatever. <laughs> so stay fat, don't worry, and you'll stay healthy. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, very good. So again, episode 29, the goal of the show today is to catch up um, with our with our friends over at VMware, and specific, specifically, we want to talk around this whole cloud-native movement, containers, everything that's wrapped up into that whole world. So with us today, we have a special guest, Mr. Chris Sexsmith from VMware. Uh, Chris is a senior manager of field enablement for cloud native apps at VMware. Wow, that's a mouthful. I can barely get it out. Uh, Chris, how are you doing this morning? Very well, very well. I barely fit that on my business card, so you know <laughs> you can just call me Chris. Well, if, uh, uh, I read a tweet from Matt Brender the other day. Basically, keep your title short and sweet and concise. Um, I don't know if that necessarily is that, but um, I don't know. I, I thought about it as soon as I read it, so I'm going to have to be more concise on every time I put my, my signature out there. But, uh, Chris, tell us a little bit about what you do over at VMware. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I function as, uh, as one of the go-to-market leads within the Cloud Native Apps uh, business unit here. Um, you know, we're a pretty new group within VMware, and uh, to a large extent, we're disrupting a lot of what VMware uh, has done over the last 10 years. Uh, my specific role is to work with a very small team. We kind of function a bit like a startup within a large company. And what we're doing is working uh, very hands-on with customers uh, to understand what they're trying to accomplish in this new world, how to address a lot of their concerns for uh, the future of containerization, the future of microservice development, um, You know what their application architects are trying to do and what the ops teams are trying to fulfill. So you know, we're, we're basically you know, assessing where the industry is going, trying to shape a lot of the product development happening internally here, and ultimately making sure that our field has enough knowledge to be able to speak to the customers, uh, you know, intelligently and try to guide them through some of this uh, transition period. That's awesome. So as people are trying to transition, right, what is that, what are they transitioning from and to? Uh, what are you, what are we helping them do? And specifically, how do you guys get aligned with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, most customers that we speak to are the enterprises. They're the large customers that have been successful for, uh, you know, decades. And they have done most of their application development in the monolithic, you know, three-tier traditional application stack uh, model. So as, you know, a lot of these startups and disruptor technologies are coming on the scene, uh, it's kind of forcing the hand for a lot of enterprises to look at that new method of developing applications. Uh, you know, and this really entails either starting fresh with a new application model or refactoring existing applications into this new model. Now, this new model is actually quite daunting when you when you look at it from an enterprise standpoint uh, because it involves, you know, taking that existing app and breaking it into uh, any number of uh, constituent elements to become what's called a microservice. This microservice, you know, has a lot of poster children for uh, for the successful model, such as you know the Netflix, uh, the Ubers, the Airbnbs, the companies that are almost exclusively in the business of developing software and don't actually own any you know tangible assets. So as companies are are looking to make this, I mean the the. The advantages of moving to this model are significant, but you know it's a long road to transition an existing enterprise from their current method, their current way of developing applications 
applications to this new model. And, you know, I think it's a bit beholden upon us to make sure that they don't over-rotate on us. Uh, some applications are really well suited uh, to being, you know, either refactored or developed fresh in a distributed application model. Um, whereas others, you know, it might be advisable to just leave those alone. <laughs> if it's an application that's been sitting in the corner for the last uh, 20 years or so, you know, best not to disrupt it. Maybe you just leave that one alone and focus on the net new applications. So do you have names for these applications? Like, uh, you know, we hear all these different uh, analogies. So the the old 20-year-old application, the, the tier, you know, the uh, the single stack monolithic, do you guys have like a nickname for that versus the new ones? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a nickname. Some of the industry standard names have uh, become a little popular, you know, like the first platform uh, effectively means that the application team was responsible for um, controlling and implementing everything from the application to the OS to the hardware level. This is really that one application per physical server or even, you know, a mainframe would fall into this category. Application designers and architects had to be intimately familiar with every layer on that stack. And then, you know, about a decade or so ago, VMware came on the scene with a hypervisor. Uh, x86 hardware became extremely, you know, cheap and plentiful. Uh, so what we did was we standardized on x86 and application architects and, and developers really only had to concern themselves with the app and the operating system. The hardware didn't really matter. VMware took care of that as, you know, other hypervisors on the market have, you know, increasingly been doing. When we move to this new model, this is really what's being called third platform or cloud native um, or, you know, microservice based architecture. And this is really the idea that we're going to standardize on the x86. We're going to standardize on the operating system and, you know, basically say that Linux is going to be our operating system of choice. And this allows the developers and the application architects to really just focus on that app layer. You know, the, the driver of all the business value is usually in the application layer itself, unless you're actually selling operating systems. So, um, you know, the, the idea here is let the developers focus on writing their code. Let's get it to market as soon as humanly possible. And a lot of the concerns that we previously had in the operating system and the hardware layer, a lot of those are being pushed into to the app layer, like resiliency, scalability, um, you know, concepts like that. The application teams are now uh, intimately responsible uh, for those concerns. Yeah, and I think I want to point out too, Chris, um, that you know you're you're also a nerd, right? I mean, so you're not just the guy out there kind of talking the talk. <laughs> um, you've actually walked a walk, right? So you've been a system engineer, you've been a cloud specialist, an architect, uh, and you've even written a book. So tell us kind of a little bit about your past and about your book. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I came into IT, I guess, uh, 15 years ago or so. And I started as, uh, you know, a system in, a system in background, um, you know, worked my way up into uh, more of a pre-sales capacity because uh, I like to talk so much. They, uh, they let me do that. And, uh, you know, eventually made it into VMware proper, uh, worked as a core SE, made it up uh, as a specialist focusing on performance and analytics. And then, you know, as the industry started to change, I'm, you know, have a short attention span. I, uh, I started to look at, you know, DevOps, this push to a new mode of application design and development. And, you know, that really caught my interest. So um, when the opportunity to work with a cloud native apps group uh, popped up, I was I was all over it. Um, but yeah, I've I've had a pretty long history of being very hands-on. So um, and also, you know, the the book and the, and the writing is is exceptionally interesting to me, just because um, first of all, it was a new experience. It was the first time I actually got a chance to participate in writing a book, and uh, you know, putting your thoughts down is really only one percent of the uh, <laughs> level of effort there. Going through revisions and having people criticize what you've written and and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it, it was an interesting learning experience. And uh, hats off to anybody who does that professionally because it's a it's a tremendous uh, um, use of time. <laughs> So DevOps for VMware Administrators is the name of the book. Just released uh, March of 2015. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't even on the cover of that one, so I only really wrote a chapter. Uh, the other guys that participated, um, you know, absolutely brilliant people. And, uh, you know, it was, it's, it's a very interesting topic right now that I think a lot of the enterprises are um, really 
concerned about, not because it's necessarily a threat to them existentially, but because everybody wants to get better. They want to think about new ways to work with the rest of their teams. So, you know, you have the development that usually sits on one side of the room, if not a separate floor, from the operations teams. Anything that we can do to really, uh, you know, assist them in working better together, even, you know, being in the same room together during meetings, I think that's a net win for most companies. Yeah, definitely. Collaboration is key. Communication. Um, so let's dig into VMware kind of cloud native apps and uh, the whole world that you currently live in. So what is the goal of the cloud native effort at VMware? I mean, what are we trying to solve, right? We did, we did uh, the hypervisor and server virtualization and all this kind of stuff, but what's the next evolution in cloud native apps and where you guys are driving? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, the Cloud Native Apps Group has uh, has basically taken on the mantra of, to a large extent, disrupting VMware proper in how it currently does business. Uh, you know, it'd be fantastic for VMware if everybody wanted to use virtual machines for the next hundred years, and that was, you know, completely sufficient. As it stands, though, um, you know, customers are uh, actually demanding different things from IT, from the, you know, operations teams. They're not necessarily requesting VMs. They may get a VM, but they're actually tending to, you know, be requesting more and more uh, advanced features, advanced abstractions from the IT operations team. So what the Cloud Native Apps team is really seeking to do is equip our enterprises, equip our IT and operations teams with a method to satisfy what the developers and their constituents are actually asking for. A developer may ask you for a VM, but, you know, chances are they don't want a VM. They want some raw compute. They might want, you know, a Pivotal Cloud Foundry uh, instance. They may want a Kubernetes instance. They may want a Docker API endpoint. You know, these, these are the uh, aspects of the ecosystem that they're actually seeking to consume more often than not. So, you know, if IT just consistently gives them VMs, uh, that's not really meeting them halfway, right? You know, we should be providing services as IT and ops people to the developers for them to consume and move fast. Um, so I guess Cloud Native Apps, uh, to a large extent, is trying to um, make that developer a top priority in the mind of the enterprise. Uh, get them operational, get them contributing value back to the company, uh, get them doing what they do best, and that's, you know, writing code and pushing it into production. Um, you know, the, the method by which developers are actually taking code and running with it to production in, uh, in a cloud like Amazon or Azure or, or vCloud Air, I mean, it's a fundamental shift in how developers are looking at IT. If we continue to just give them VMs, the desire to move to a service that gives them faster access to what they want to consume will become, you know, incredibly valuable for, for that developer. Um, most enterprises want to at least mimic some of that functionality and then retain control uh, of, you know, security, compliance, all of the aspects that the traditional enterprise is extremely concerned about. So that developer can still get what they want from Corp IT and we're providing that technical framework for them to actually request and have their requests fulfilled. And so all the, all the things that you mentioned just now, it really reminds me of another conversation we had uh, where you were talking about your three-pronged approach to this. You're talking about, you know, you have an environment today that's, uh, gen you know, generally speaking, a lot of Platform 2, everything's going great, a lot of VMware, uh, but people are needing these other things, these Mesos, Kubernetes, et cetera. Um, you mentioned a three-pronged approach. So what is this three-pronged approach as we start to look at helping these developers out using our existing environment? Yeah, great question. So I think the first prong in that approach, if you will, is ensuring that we have like a, um, a release pipeline that makes sense. Uh, as customers are maturing and getting into uh, this, this new kind of CI, CD, continuous integration, continuous deployment methodology, um, this is one of the underpinnings of the whole DevOps type movement, right? Um, you know, they, they need a way to ensure that we have a stable, uh, automated, um, you know, Re repeatable method to bring that code to deployment. So having it go through a proper release pipeline where uh, code repositories are managed and, uh, you know, that code once compiled is put into an artifact uh, repository, then it's, uh, you, you know, deployed into uh, either your test or dev or UAT. Uh, basically, a true release pipeline uh, is, I wouldn't say a prerequisite, but it's a fairly common um 
stage of maturity that companies go through when they're looking to, you know, really streamline their operations from uh, developing code all the way to implementing it in production. So that's one real area that we're focused on at VMware. And, you know, our, we have a product called CodeStream, which functions as a high-level orchestrator for a lot of these concepts. It'll talk to your Git. It'll talk to uh, your Jenkins server. Uh, it has an artifactory instance um, deployed within it to, you know, handle all the artifacts and whatnot. And will eventually, uh, and, you know, it will uh, enable you to deploy uh, those workloads on a traditional VM stack. And that's just one aspect of it. Um, and that actually doesn't fall under the cloud native purvey as such, but it's really important to talk about as, as we're talking about customer maturity. Uh, the other two prongs are really our approach to enabling containers and these high-level abstractions. Uh, the first is a brownfield type solution, which enables uh, customers to start using Docker and you know these container frameworks that are becoming extremely popular um, in their existing environment. So they don't have to you know retrofit anything or deploy net new uh, hosts or you know retool completely. They're just able to use Docker in a really responsible manner within their existing vCenter vSphere farms. And the way we do this is with a technology called uh, vSphere Integrated Containers, or VIC for short. What this really enables us to do is uh, um, basically create a Docker API endpoint within the vSphere environment. So when your developers typing Docker push, Docker pull, Docker run, all of those you know uh, commands to to run containers, they are actually being um, uh, received by the uh, integrated container framework and deployed as instances within the vSphere environment. So this is really one of those best of both worlds situations. We enable the developers to use the tooling they like, their Docker commands, all of their nifty little mostly open source type tool sets that they've become accustomed to. But when it comes to actually deploying the workload, it is deployed within the vSphere environment. And we do something uh, you know, pretty interesting within vSphere here. What we do is we enable uh, these containers to be run uh, in a very lightweight Linux construct. So we, you can think about this as taking a virtual machine and just taking the construct around it, not a full-blown virtual machine, but uh, you know, just the object itself and running a container as though it's native within your vSphere inventory. This does a few things, you know, the developer is able to use their tools, but then ops and IT can use their tools as well. You know, it consumes port groups, resource pools, uh, security principles, they don't change whatsoever. And uh, from a VI administrator standpoint, it looks just like a VM. So those are two of the major prongs there. I'm just going to pause to see if you guys have any questions around either of those before I move on to the third. No, I think it's uh, it's going great. We'll kind of recap, uh, you know, vSphere integrated containers, um, versus where you're headed. So just keep going. All right, terrific. So then the third prong in our, our portfolio is really around that dedicated environment to run uh, third platform type applications. So as I mentioned, you know, the developer isn't really requesting uh, a VM necessarily. They want to be able to consume raw compute and they want to be able to consume it at scale with these higher level application orchestration engines. So if you've heard of Mesos or Kubernetes or Pivotal Cloud Foundry, uh, these are methods by which we can run containerized workloads at scale and have them controlled, orchestrated, monitored, and logged by this higher level abstraction engine. So when you're when you're dealing with um, these type of workloads, you know scale is key, and you know for all of the great things that vCenter has done for us over the over the last decade, uh, one thing it doesn't do particularly well is scale. So we've been looking at ways to um, you know focus on what the actual needs of uh, the developers are in this new context. They need a scalable solution for them to be able to deploy a lot of containers very fast. And then they also need an easy way to spin up these higher level abstractions. Our Photon platform solution does exactly this. It provides that stable API endpoint into the compute layer that enables uh, developers to spin up um, you know, hundreds, thousands of workloads extremely quickly. And then also to spin up these uh, the Kubernetes pods, the, the Mesos, the, the Pivotal Cloud Foundry instances, uh, Hadoop instances, um, you know, very simple command line CLI and API driven uh, input to spin these up and allow the developers to make use of them almost immediately. Go ahead, Brent. So uh, I was trying to get Brent to talk here, but it sounds like maybe he's uh, got his mic on mute. <laughs> I'm so, digesting. Yeah. So um, 
I apologize for my voice. So we're a big VMware shop with a ton of, you know, kind of platform two pets. Uh, we, but some developers are starting to play around with containers and we want to help them out. So instead mm-hmm. of them maybe going out and doing it on their own, maybe they go out to AWS, which is, you know, you know, they're bad, they're evil, they're going to lock you in, whatever the story <laughs> is. Um, we'll deploy vSphere integrated containers to give them an API and programmatic type abilities to deploy containers. And so, but it's all on top of vSphere. It's all centralized and it's all managed by IT. So, you know, you still get that same experience, but you're still enabling those developers in a way that kind of blends your uh, your largely plat- platform two environment with where you're starting out for platform three. Does that sound about right? That's exactly right. Yeah, it's uh, it really is that best of both worlds story. You know, we, we allow the existing tool sets to work on both sides of the house. Um, everybody has visibility into the workloads that are running. Um, you know, we're not limiting the developers and what they can accomplish. We're simply uh, ensuring that... Um, you know, IT and ops have visibility into that. You know, and, and this is increasingly important. You know, when we talk to our IT and operations teams in uh, in a lot of these enterprises, they don't have any visibility into the workloads being run uh, in the container space. Reason being is because it's exceptionally difficult to uh, you know to control and quantify those. We're looking to address a lot of those concerns by uh, you know bringing the visibility to the container workloads, and then also educating our customers on some of the steps it takes. Um, to ensure that the image being brought down from a public repository isn't malicious, uh, you know, in encouraging our customers to run local repositories for their images, uh, encouraging our customers to think about security in this um, uh, in this new way, this containerized security model, which is you know fundamentally different from the from the VM security model. So it sounds like the the, the platform or the Photon platform needs probably some new VMware components to run. Can you elaborate a little bit on those? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it, it is a greenfield solution, and there's a very good reason for that. Um, when we're when we're looking at some of these new constructs that we're enabling, uh, I mentioned you know the Netflix model. They they've managed to push a lot of the uh, concerns that typically resided in the infrastructure layer. They push those into the app layer. So if you're familiar with Chaos Monkey uh, in the Netflix model, you know it's basically a piece of software that goes running around intentionally causing outages at the infrastructure layer. Um, you know, they have different versions of that depending on what they're, you know, simulating, well, not simulating, but actually causing an outage for. Sometimes they'll wipe out entire data centers to ensure that the resilience of the Netflix application is actually built into the app layer itself. So this way of thinking about um uh, you know, application design and whatnot means that we don't actually have to have as much functionality into the core infrastructure layer as we used to. So what we've decided to do is move down the road of taking all of the great aspects of ESXi that we've traditionally had, but removing some of the functionality that is no longer really required in a true microservice cloud native uh, distribution. So, you know, some concerns like, uh, or some features like Fault tolerance, for instance, not as important. You know, we're we're dealing with stateless applications here. We don't really need that anymore. So, you know, that's gone. Um, we'll be looking very closely at removing some other features. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but the goal is to uh, create that thin hypervisor. Some are calling it a microvisor uh, to support uh, just the raw compute workloads on top of it, and let the application layer deal with a lot of the higher level concerns. Now, the other aspect of this is uh, something called Photon Controller. Uh, This is really our distributed control plane layer, which we've open sourced, by the way. Uh, The Cloud Native Apps Group is extremely um, on board with open source. We're open sourcing literally everything that we can. Um, So, you know, the, the... Distributed control plane and the controller layer is really responsible for all of the API, uh, uh, the API layer, ensuring that developers can write to this stable API, and then that's also responsible for standing up the higher level services. So if you want to spin up a Pivotal Cloud Foundry or any of the constructs I mentioned before, Kubernetes, uh, this would be a function of the Photon controller layer, which you know kind of sits above um, above the the layer of compute. So I heard uh, I heard Kubernetes, and I've heard you talk about Mesos. Um, what other like container formats do you support? Things like Docker, Rocket. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're looking to be as open as possible, and you know one of the. Uh, 
One of the interesting aspects about VMware is, you know, when we think about what's made us successful, it's our ability to abstract. Uh, whether it's storage or network or whatnot, you know, we haven't been prescriptive in exactly what we support, you know, within reason. Uh, we've tried to maintain as open a platform as possible. Uh, that's not going to change for us. You know, we, we hold that as kind of a core tenet of our, of our ideology here that we want to allow our customers to use what we provide any way that we can. So this is still very much in development, but you know whether you want to use Docker or Rocket or any of these technologies, we are engineering that type of flexibility into uh, our core platform. Now, you know, keep in mind that Docker is doing something very similar on their side, right? You know, a lot of these um, container technologies, they're looking for a ubiquitous method to uh, ensure that, you know, you're, you're not getting locked into a particular type of, of container or a particular type of technology, which is interesting. I mean, this is, this is first and foremost on most of our customers' minds. They want to avoid that type of lock-in with a particular vendor. Uh, they want to keep their options open so that developers can use whatever tooling they really want to use. And, you know, we're, we're, um, we're exceptionally aware of that. Uh, it's it's one of our one of our key value propositions moving forward with cloud native. Okay, and and so uh, question regarding the photon platform and photon photon controller and kind of the whole ecosystem is is that being managed or monitored under the Open Container Initiative OCI? Um, that's that's actually a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't think that we are currently under it, but we have another team that's responsible for uh, most of the OSS uh, type of conversations. They would probably be more aware of that than I. Sorry, I don't have a better answer for you. On no, that. that's fine. I just read an article this morning that Rocket just released the 1.0 version of basically their OCI compliant. So it, it, I guess the, the thought was just in my mind, so I figured I'd ask. Mm -hmm. But we'll yeah, do some more yeah. digging. We'll find out. All right, terrific, thanks. What we need you to do is go back to the office, email everybody, like all, <laughs> including Pat, and go, hey, does somebody know about this thing? Whoever replies I'll, first, they can be on the podcast <laughs> next month. I'll get you the answer in real time. You'll just hear my keyboard clacking away. <laughs> so um, if we look back at Photon Platform, uh, the first thing is, you know, I'm, I'm really interested here. It sounds like as you do, let's say you deploy vSphere integrated containers, and then you maybe move and grow into Photon Platform, it sounds like the experience is almost identical. So will, will people be able to notice a difference in the way one works or another as a developer? Oh, yeah, I guess from the developer standpoint, it really depends on what kind of tooling that you want to work with, right? So if you are a developer who is used to using that higher level abstraction, you know, you've decided that Pivotal Cloud Foundry is the way to go. And then this really becomes more of a function of, uh, Photon Platform becomes a function of, uh, you know, kind of deploy it. And for most, uh, for the developer um, uh, workflow, it's deploy it and get out of the way. Right, so it's a bit more of an infrastructure and an ops benefit on that side. Um, you know, in the vSphere integrated containers, it's uh, completely invisible to the developer. They're able to, you know, keep uh, keep using Docker or whatever tools that they want to use there, and then IT ops just then has visibility into it, which is is really the value proposition and the net benefit there. Um, what it really comes down to in most of the shops that we talk about uh, that we talk to is, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? What tools are you using, and how can we increase? Um, the, the speed with which uh, you can you know fashion these tools and, and basically operationalize them responsibly. Uh, that's that's pretty much what VMware has been good at um, in its history is on the operations side. You know our appeal is now to the developers in how fast IT can give them what they need if that makes sense. So uh, in, in kind of prepping for for this podcast, uh, I, I saw something about VM fork and and I didn't quite grasp uh, exactly the, I guess, the benefit and, and what it was. So can you explain to me what VM fork is and why it's important? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, VM fork is a component within the uh, integrated containers uh, technology. And it's actually um, a piece of technology that's been built into the kernel for the last few years. And it was a solution kind of looking for a problem to some extent. Uh, what it is, is it's a method by which we can uh, bring up a VM, so a Linux OS, um, you know, wait until it's just about to go through the final stages of boot, we stun it, and then we use VM fork to do a, uh, a clone of the memory 
recovery state. So you can think about like, you know, a V motion almost, but you know, we don't blow away the original. We just leave that there and we clone the memory state um, and then just do a copy on right thereafter. This enables us a lot of flexibility in how we can reclaim memory, uh, you know, which blocks are actually writable versus read only. And it enables us to then spin up that new OS it will be uh, just enough VM is kind of the terminology that we're using around it. Um, so it is a full-fledged OS in the sense that all of the bits are there, but not all of the libraries are writable because our goal here is really to just install um, a container on top of that. So once that container is deployed, it gets its runtime access to everything it needs, but we're actually um, reducing the memory footprint substantially. Uh, we end up with a lot of sh uh, shared pages because we're effectively just using the original operating system's memory footprint. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, so talk about the, the difference in size, I guess, between a traditional VM and, and a JE VM, just enough VM. Yeah, I, I believe, you know, we're still fairly early on. I think some of the early benchmarks were something like 25 megabytes or something to that extent. So, you know, fairly, fairly low overhead in that in that sphere. Um, remember that because we're doing this on VMware technology with a hypervisor, we're reclaiming memory all over the place, right? We're using transparent page sharing. Uh, you know, we're, we're using all of those core technologies to ensure that the memory footprint is really low. Now, the other aspect of that is that most container workloads are fairly ephemeral. Uh, I think the average runtime for a container is a day or two, you know, not, not very long. So as we accumulate these deltas after this copy on write procedure, uh, you know, we, we don't really have to think about this in terms of, uh, you know, long-term deltas like we would with a snapshot or something. And I'm sure we're all aware how, how deep a trouble you can get into with accumulating huge deltas on a snapshot. Um, you know, chances are just the, the average type of workflow around a container would mean that that developer is going to make some changes on it and probably check it back into a repository and it's going to have a very short lifespan. This means that you know we can have a lot of uh, a lot of flux in that environment, a lot of new containers coming into existence and being destroyed and it's not going to contribute to uh, very much overhead whatsoever. Okay, so uh, it sounds in addition to being lightweight, it sounds fast. Yeah, it's extremely fast. That's been one of our uh, tenets uh, from the beginning is, you know, we don't want to add overhead in the form of uh, resources or in the form of latency uh, for the developers. And, you know, this is, you know, fairly... Um, really important to us because if we start to add, you know, a minute or two minute uh, latency to uh, deployment, uh, developers aren't going to use it. You know, they, they say, well, why would I use this over just core Docker, uh, you know, uh, or whatever container technology they have that's, you know, extremely fast and easy to get up. So this this has been built into uh, our DNA, if you will, uh, to ensure that, you know, we're, we're enabling the developer to move as fast as they were previously. I think our sweet spot is, you know, if we were to uh, add, you know, max ten seconds onto uh, the spinning up of a container. Anything above that would probably not go over so well. So that's kind of you know our rough target. Um, we're we're substantially below that as it stands right now. So we've uh, we've touched on uh, Photon OS and uh, and also Photon Machine. Uh, we've talked a bit about vSphere integrated containers and Photon controller inside of there, as well as the Photon platform. So I have a follow-up on Photon Controller. Uh, I'm really interested in, I guess, uh, we saw something called uh, Xenon, or, you know, in general, the, you know, explain the, the API relationship and, and what Photon Controller's giving to the developers, what the benefit is uh, for yeah. the end users. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Photon Controller is a very interesting piece of technology. Uh, it's been around VMware in development in one phase or another for uh, quite a while. We are looking at this um, strictly to address, well, not strictly, but to address the needs that, you know, we've, we've kind of fallen short on in other respects. Uh, you know, VMware isn't exactly famous for its strong APIs. So we've been looking at ways to reverse that trend. And Photon Controller is definitely one aspect of that. Creating a stable API entry point into consuming um, resources and actually deploying application manifests and, and these type of workloads 
is a is a top priority for us. We've lost um, a bit of momentum around the API story over the years. Uh, it, it just hasn't really been um, crystallized as a top priority across our organization for you know for better or worse. There's only a certain amount of engineering <laughs> cycles in the day, so we've we've uh, we've kind of um, we've been trying to rectify some of uh, some of that gap within the VMware portfolio. Now, on top of that, we wanted to build a, uh, a system and a layer that enables us to uh, map what those resources look like, their characteristics, uh, you know, what kind of throughput, what kind of uh, memory availability, uh, you know, what does a disk look like, and basically categorize all of the aspects of our underlying infrastructure in this controller layer. You know, when we start building this out and the technology becomes more mature, we can then effectively use this to make more intelligent decisions for how that application is placed. If I have uh, one group of resources that Photon Controller is looking at, that's, uh, you know, my gold, super fast, uh, whiz-bang type of, uh, of infrastructure, and, you know, my bronze on the other side, um, I can build some of these concerns now into the Photon Controller layer to say this particular type of application can only reside on super fast hardware and photon controller will then be responsible for um, you know making some of these decisions for placement but you know again still very much in the early days one of our uh, one of our goals here of open sourcing everything that we can is you know not to be overly um, opinionated on how the technology should function but see how developers want to use it how IT shops want to use it and you know if if it's open source they can contribute you know fork the the, uh, uh, fork the project and start contributing to the development themselves. And who knows, you know, something that we might not have thought of may become uh, extremely popular and, you know, we would look at incorporating a, some aspect of that into um, a future fling or a future release, you know, something that would be useful for our customers. So, Chris, is there an inflection point? I mean, you know, you talked about there's obviously the VM world, which can do, you know, tens of thousands of VMs, right? And then there's a container world, which you could do the same. And there's the ability to to co-mingle the, these things um, in the VM world with, you know, VMware integrated containers. Where's the inflection point of when you're like, you know what, I, I don't want to run these containers um, on my VMware environment and I want to use something like the Photon platform separate. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that that's a a maturity level within the customer base, and it I actually I shouldn't call it a maturity level. It's really just around the use case that you're trying to accomplish. If you find yourself um, with an unmanageable farm, with you know containers popping in and out of existence uh, habitually with higher level application orchestration engines actually being the, the control plane more often than not, and your VM count dwindling or, you know, being isolated off into the corner, you know, I'd suggest looking at this. Um, you know, the, the value proposition going forward of moving to the full-fledged Photon platform, you know, uh, no traditional VMs per se, all higher level application constructs. I think as we start to, you know, move into this model, um, we'll see those use cases and value propositions get more tightly defined, i.e., you know, if this application needs to scale overnight because you're a retail business with, uh, you know, a Christmas rush, then Photon platform makes a lot of sense, you know, the ability to really scale your deployments is, is mission critical um, versus, you know, if you find that you may be a financial institution, uh, you've gone down this path of re-architecting your apps, but you find that, you know, scale really isn't too much of a concern. You know, you're, you've, you've leveled off, um, the deployments aren't coming as fast and furious, then maybe it does make sense to stay in that kind of hybrid model, right, uh, where you can still field all of the requests, still support some of the higher level abstractions, but, you know, you don't want to necessarily complicate things by having to run two farms. You know, there's trade-offs with each one of these uh, decisions. And I guess a large part of our job as the go-to-market team within Cloud Native Apps is to ensure our customers, you know, look at this as um, not necessarily a process of getting to know our technology per se, but getting to know, uh, be more intimately familiar with how their application looks and performs, as well as what their customers are expecting from it. You know, some of the examples that we see from successful companies that have done this, you know, they've they've approached how their application functions very much in the sense of what will my customer base be willing to tolerate? And by tolerate, I mean, you know, people's um, uh, attention span is, is pretty low and getting lower by the day. So if uh, if it takes three seconds for your initial web page to load, 
people have probably already left at that point. But you know, once you've filled up your your little shopping cart, you know, you've done all of your shopping and you're will and you're ready to check out, they actually are willing to tolerate a little bit more latency in that particular operation because they're already emotionally and, and time invested in the process. It's analyzing customer behavior like this that I think is becoming more and more uh, important for companies that are looking to succeed on an ongoing basis. Uh, if a if a particular business is going to be disrupted, it's probably because they're not thinking along these lines. They're not thinking about how to improve their services on a continuous basis. So a lot of what we talk about is, you know, let's analyze what's working for you. Let's see where you could potentially be disrupted. Let's see where you have opportunity to really... Um, you know, bolster your uh, your creativity and how you go to market with your application. So, Chris, are, are there any customers out there today um, that are using vSphere integrated containers and or the Photon controller? Um, you, maybe you can't name them by name, but uh, what's kind of been the you know the the reception out there to Vic and to the whole Photon kind of movement? Yeah, yeah, great question. So right now we're we're in the um, uh, tech preview, which means uh, we're working with a very limited subset of customers. Uh, I think we we have about ten on each side right now, the the Vic and the Photon platform, respectively. And the reason being is, you know, we have a lot of extremely bright engineers and and, and QA people and all of that, but you know, we're not as we're trying to not be as prescriptive in how this functions. We want to actually learn from our customer and our constituents, you know, what are your developers asking for? So this is why we're taking this a little bit slower than we would necessarily with a traditional product uh, and, and being exceptionally hands-on with our customers. Because, you know, we, we're not, um, we want to make sure that whatever corner case or use case or you know feature that they want to use, that's a high priority for them, we're uh, enabling that to happen. And, you know, it's it's almost like, you know, with a, with a traditional way of looking at IT, it's a lot of form factor stuff. But when you get into the development world, it's a lot of snowflakes, right? So we have to make sure that we've identified what all of those snowflakes are and are, you know, touching the bases on the majority of them. Uh, not to mix metaphors there, but... Um, yeah, so uh, 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 suffice to say, in the in the interim here, the the short to medium term, the next few months, we're going to take a, a very um, deliberate approach with our customers and uh, and see what they think and get that feedback. Now, that being said, uh, the the initial feedback has been tremendous. Uh, you know, customers are saying this is exactly what I need, specifically with the integrated containers. It gives IT and operations people a very warm feeling that um, you know they're they're not. Um, contributing to a shadow IT being developed uh, with with this container world you know they have introspection into all of these workloads and so forth so you know the the resounding um, uh, message from them has been can you please move faster and get this to me as a GA format because I need to operationalize this today which is a great problem to have you know if nobody's interested in your product that's that's much worse than them being uh, eager and uh, and anticipating it <laughs> strongly. So after everybody's adopted all this and they've fallen in love with it, um, how do uh, how do you secure it? Do we just uh, I'm saying this tongue in cheek? We just go back and install VShield and we're good to go. <laughs> we actually have an open source project that uh, that addresses the security concerns. It's uh, called Lightwave. Um, again, we've open sourced this. Uh, it's built on a couple of the Linux technologies that were uh, are popular in the open source world. Um, what we've really done is just applied it to our uh, our current environments and what we're what we're doing here at VMware. So it's actually built into our Photon platform um, uh, technology itself. And uh, and really, what it is is it's addressing uh, container security and functioning more or less as an AD for containers. Now, as this kind of builds up, you know, we we definitely have a strong eye to uh, the different levels at which we can secure containerized workloads. You know, one of the basic ones is kind of the RBAC functionality that we would be providing with uh, uh, with Lightwave and having it baked into the system. Uh, the other is you know ensuring we're looking forward to actually implementing this as a full enterprise uh, class design, which would incorporate with um, you know technologies we have like NSX ensuring that we have you know micro segmentation down to the containerized workloads uh, to enable our customers to really be as flexible and on demand um, with these security principles in this new universe and you know we can expect to see some stuff happening there uh, this year so is there a um, is there a specific story around micro segmentation I mean the, the, you know some of the questions you know I mean as somebody who's comes from a security background, why do I care? 
So mm-hmm. are you able to quickly answer why I might care about micro segmentation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, first and foremost, big disclaimer, I am not a network uh, engineer. <laughs> so um, the, my knowledge is, you know, a little shallow on, on this particular aspect. But that being said, you know, a lot of our uh, workloads that we're seeing deployed in the traditional sense um, have, uh, you know, the requirement of needing to spin up um, these networks and these security boundaries uh, on the fly. Now, if you've been doing this manually, even with something like uh, a pivotal cloud foundry on vSphere, um, mapping port groups and and security boundaries around workloads in a pivotal cloud foundry instance is a manual process. And frankly, you know, that doesn't scale. So when we're looking at, um, you know, doing this for scale, looking to do this in an automated fashion, uh, having support from an NSX standpoint is, is pretty critical in that uh, in that goal. So when we're looking at actual like you know micro segmentation and ensuring that these workloads are segregated and obeying those rules, um, it's in my mind less a function of can we do it and more a function of how fast we can do it and can we automate it. Uh, you know the use cases are going to abound for you know whether or not you should be looking at this if you have a flat organization with you know a single web server facing out you know you probably don't need it as much um, but if you're looking to really foster this type of uh, you know relatively complex uh, multi-tenanted environment with you know many teams operating uh, with with security principles built into that um, you know it's very attractive. When, uh, when we're talking to a lot of our, you know, federal customers, um, uh, you know, governments, uh, this this is a top priority, you know, because the the type of uh, networking available in the current container universe doesn't meet the standards that they're looking for. Well, it's good to know that uh, that's being that's not an afterthought. That it's there. Uh, it's 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 an open source project, and it can be utilized by customers uh, coming up. So. Chris, we've talked about uh, you know the cloud native team. We've talked about VMware's efforts in the whole cloud native movement. Talked about the Photon ecosystem. Talked about securing it. We talked about who would enjoy this, why, and then kind of how. Um, what did we miss? Is there anything out there that's that's you know top of mind that we definitely want to get out there to our listeners? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, it's just really around the transformation process. Um, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but, you know, startups today have a tremendous advantage over the enterprise in, in that they can try and fail. Um, they can try, uh, you know, new technologies, new platforms, and the cost associated with that has uh, been dropped exponentially over the last few years. And a lot of this is predicated on the idea of, you know, the commoditization of, uh, of compute. If I can take a credit card and go and try out a business idea for $5,000 on Amazon or whatnot, I mean, I can fail a lot. And that has contributed, you know, significantly to the environment that we're in today. Um, you look at the Airbnbs, the startups, the, uh, the disruptors that are, um, you know, causing uh, companies that have been around for 50 to 100 years and operating fairly statically, I mean, they're, they're driving them out of business. So I think, you know, I'll, there is a bit of a gun to the head uh, for a lot of current businesses to be taking this extremely seriously. But then also, you know, looking at how most effectively to transform their business and in the right way. Um, you know, you can't boil the ocean with these type of technologies. You can't say, I'm going to throw everything that we have into a container and then I'm done. Um, you know, frankly, that that, that's not going to accomplish any goals. Uh, it'll give you a little bit of a benefit, I guess, but you know, that's, it's uh, a little bit of a, a tenuous value proposition there. So I guess, you know, first and foremost, I, I spend a lot of time talking to my customers about where their value is, how can we better uh, extract that value and, and contribute to it? And, you know, more important than that, how can we look to disrupt ourselves without taking our eye off the ball, so to speak? You know, how can we foster that type of culture within your within your uh, enterprise to allow people to, you know, say the emperor has no clothes, right? To say, I'm going to uh, challenge the very basic value proposition that this company has in a new and exciting way. I think that we have to uh, welcome that type of disruption with open arms right now. Um, you know, it hasn't been an easy road for VMware to do so. Uh, you know, the decision to go down cloud native with uh, with containers. I mean, it wasn't universally accepted as the right decision. Let's you know, let's just be uh, be honest about that. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, most customers are still wrestling with uh, how to disrupt themselves responsibly, uh, how to compete 
compete in this new world. And you know, VMware is extremely excited. The cloud native team is extremely excited uh, to help during this transition. And um, yeah, I guess that that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking about and doing. Awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like how can we leverage existing infrastructure and and, and uh, software today to try this thing out without over rotating? Exactly. Exactly. Well said. When are there any dates? Obviously, Photon Controller is out, but do you have any any projections on when kind of this whole platform and the ecosystem will be out there and, and available for consumption? Yeah, we don't have anything that we're actually publicly uh, socializing. I mean, if I was a betting man, and this is just me talking, not VMware, I would say that we're probably going to see some interesting announcements around VMworld. Okay. Um, but apart from that, we, we can't give any concrete dates or guidance around that. Okay, fair enough. Well, hey, Chris, um, we're coming to the top of the hour, and uh, we try to keep it there for our listeners. Uh, so first, first and foremost, wanted to thank you uh, for being on, on the hot aisle. Uh, we really enjoyed the conversation. I know there's a lot more coming and a lot more we can dig into, but I think this was a, a great first foray into the world of, of VMware and the cloud native world, um, and additionally, the, the Photon project as a whole. Um, so that said, when and where can we find you next? Uh, a lot of our guests do public speaking engagements. Uh, uh, do you do the same? And if so, where can we find you? Absolutely. I am pretty much on the road about 250 days a year, so Ooh. I am all over the place. I uh, Next week, I will be in Orlando, then I will be in England, then Singapore, then Japan. So uh, my speaking dates are kind of all over the place. I will definitely be uh, doing a, a VMUG in Singapore, but in the interim, uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Virtual Mittens, and I, I warn everybody that it's not a very serious uh, Twitter handle uh, i <laughs> i joke around a lot and it's not really it related so if you're looking for updates from vmware you might you might want to go to the vmware proper twitter um and uh yeah apart from that um you know feel free to drop me a line anytime and uh, i'm more than happy to pop back on the show and and uh, talk with you guys again i really do appreciate the time sure and uh you got github or blog or anything like that youtube no i'm pretty uh i'm pretty lightweight i'm agile in that way ah um, uh, yes <laughs> There's only so many hours in the day. I haven't quite gotten around to that stuff. Fair enough. Okay, cool. We'll say uh, for, for all of our listeners out there, uh, let us know uh, how we're doing out there. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you know, we're doing this for you guys, uh, for the benefit of of the whole whole uh, community out there. So let us know what you want to hear, how we're doing. We've got some good suggestions, and hopefully some some of that will be coming up soon. But um, for those of you out there, again, thanks for listening to the Hot Owl. I'm Brent Piotti, and I'm Brian Carpenter. And thank you, Chris Exmouth from VMware. Thanks, guys.